We all need a shot of encouragement to keep us going. A new beginning with Greg Laurie is sure to help in your journey of faith. Hear it twice daily. Details at vision.org.au. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Of course, if you've been around church life for a while, you'll realize there have been significant controversies around money over the years. Well, there was an overemphasis on the often frowned upon prosperity gospel, where the message in some churches was about giving to God to get personally rich. And then at the other extreme, some are reactionary to the idea of having an abundance of financial resources, quoting the Bible saying, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that often leads to the idea that Christians should have something of a poverty mentality around money. Don't be seeking after money. Well, perhaps neither of those extremes glorify God. Getting rich is risky often leading people away from God. But poverty can't empower the big initiatives that advance the kingdom of God through church and mission. So, what do you think about the Christian believer and money? And are there insights that we can glean from the way that Christians thought about money in the early church? Is there such a thing as a Bible rule of thumb that makes our attitudes and our ability to manage money right according to God's wisdom? Well, our special guest today has an interesting reputation. He's called the Generosity Monk. Dr. Gary Hogue is President and CEO of Global Trust Partners. He's getting ready to come to Australia and he'll be a keynote speaker at an upcoming Easter convention at the Mount Tambourine Conference Centre in the hinterland on the beautiful Gold Coast. And Gary Hogue is our guest over this next hour. There is a Facebook post. Why do you give money at church? Out of obligation or opportunity? And your opportunity to contribute to the conversation on Facebook along the lines of uh, how do you think others see money in church life. But I want to make a special welcome to our guest over this next hour, Dr. Gary Hogue. Gary, welcome back to 2020. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be coming to Australia for my 10th visit. Your 10th visit to Australia, and right now you're on the rest and relaxation side after a five-nation tour. Uh, A quick little insight into where you've been travelling and the sort of people who've been listening to you talking about money around the world. Sure. Real quick, I was in Indonesia helping set up a peer accountability group there because Prosperity Gospel has ravaged that area. And so they want sound teaching for multiplying faithful stewards, and they want ministries to have accountability and transparency, because what often happens with prosperity gospel, the pastors are lining their pockets instead of uh, doing God's work. Then my travels took me to South Korea. I was actually there when um, kind of the whole coronavirus breakout came, so I preached in churches um The morning after, basically, it was uh, kind of pandemonium, so I was kind of glad to get out of there after um, uh, the privilege of of doing some preaching and teaching, and um, I went from there to Egypt, and in Egypt, I got to meet with the heads of the Anglican seminaries that serve about 
50 million Christians, and we really talked about generosity against prosperity, kind of, in other words, um, what are the wrong turns that we make to, to end up in prosperity gospel. Then the fourth uh, country was Jordan, again, a peer accountability group, similar to the CMA Standards Council, um, is being formed in, uh, in Jordan. And then, uh, lastly, I had some strategic meetings in the U.K. So I'm happy to be home, and I'm actually on kind of self-imposed quarantine um, just to kind of chill at home, do some writing, some praying. And, yeah, it's, it's good to be off the road. Well, uh, when you talk about quarantine today, people are thinking, oh, the coronavirus, and no doubt traveling to all those countries and on planes for all the time that you've spent. Uh, you might even be a little bit concerned about that, and I know that you're concerned as things develop that uh, you want to be here in Australia and looking forward to getting on a plane. And let's hope that everything goes smoothly and that you're able to do that. Yeah. Gary, and I'm sure I'm sure everything's fine. I just, I'm just being... Uh just being um, cautious, right? Well, I think uh, caution and taking an opportunity for a little bit of rest and recuperation might be a very good thing for you. Hey, Gary, uh, <laughs> look, as we get into this too, I mentioned, uh, we, you know, I, we've spoken a number of times, but we do need to just come back to your reputation as the generosity monk. And people might be thinking, uh, here's this guy with a shaved top of his head and... Uh, in some sort of a uh, you know a religious uh, cassock garb or something like that, uh, where does that reputation? Where does this nickname come from? Sure, sure. So picture this: I was forty years old. This was like uh, eleven years ago. I was almost forty-one. I was forty years old. I was chairman of the board of all the seminaries in North America, uh, or excuse me, chairman of the board of all the chief advancement officers, like all the kind of fundraisers of the seminaries in North America. And I was, um, and my president left, and I prayed for about a year. What's this mean for me, God? And I really felt like the Lord said, finish your Ph.D., and I want you to step away from serving one ministry to go from serving one to serving many. And my question was, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I really felt like he said, I don't need you to do anything. I have the whole universe sorted. I felt like he said, it's what I want you to be. And I said, okay, what do you want me to be? And just like Sarah laughed when God said, I want you to be a mommy, um, I felt like God said, I want you to be the generosity monk. I want you to dedicate your life. And this is the monk part. Dedicate your life to encouraging Christian generosity. And the monks had a daily office or a daily rhythm. And so my daily rhythm for about 11 years has been to post a daily meditation on generosity. I never really did it for uh, having readers all over the world. But what's been great is I felt like the Lord said, if you get up and spend time in my word and time with me reading what the saints of the century said about generosity, I'll teach you things that you can share with others. And yeah, the rest is history. So 11 years later, I've had the privilege of writing uh, 11 books. I, I, I have done a daily post for that whole time frame. And so I can't really not do it. It's just become, become a pattern in my life. So I love studying and researching what the saints of the century said about uh, money and generosity. Well, I hope listeners can hear what I can hear in that you've humbled yourself 
according to a calling that you've felt was on your life to pursue this whole issue of dealing with money. And what's opened up there is the opportunity to influence people at the highest levels in Christian mission and ministry around the whole world. And uh, our privilege, just to reinforce that for listeners today, to hear what you've got to say about what the early church might teach us about money today because uh, we could take all of our individual churches and each one of those uh, might have a different sort of a twist on how they deal with money. But let's come back to the Bible and you're devoting yourself to getting into the Scriptures, Gary. So uh, let's start with something sure. fairly broad here. But, you know, what did the early church do with money? How do we, uh, how do we sure. talk about that? All right. I want you listeners to think in terms... First, I want you to think in terms of the word share. Now, when we think of sharing, we, we think of, oh, wow, I have an abundance of cookies, and, and, and there's a group of people, and so I'll share some of the cookies. In other words, when we think of sharing, we think of making sure everyone has enough. And so the early church practiced what we call, the word is koinonia, and it's, it's a word most people have heard. And it's the word linked to giving throughout the New Testament. And so the, the early church saw what it had as belonging to God, and so lived open-handedly and generously with it, making sure everybody had enough. So they, I'll specifically tell you who they shared with, but um, I really want to drive that point home of sharing first. Now, if I were to articulate who they shared with, we would go to the book of Galatians. Here's why we'd go to Galatians. It's the earliest. James is probably the earliest letter, um, and the second one's probably Galatians. But what's good about Galatians is it helps us understand how they wrestled with what to do with the Old Testament. Because they kind of thought, oh, we take the Old Testament, like in America we have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which I actually really like, but... um, They would take the Old Testament like peanut butter and the New Testament like jelly and mash them together. And the Galatians, in so doing, were were going back to slavery. And so the word used in Galatians 6, first is share all good things with the one who teaches you. So the first place the early church sent their money was to the pastor. In other words, share all good things with the one who teaches you. Then it would go to the poor. Remember the poor. I love the scene, Neil. Imagine Peter, James, and John on one side of the room, and Paul and Barnabas on the other. And imagine them shaking hands and saying, it's awesome that we have different ministry trajectories. One, one group of us is going to go serve Jews. The other group, Gentiles. And we're going to point these groups to Jesus. But no matter what, we're going to remember the poor, because that's what Jesus did, and that's how he ministered. And so we care for the pastor, we care for the poor, and the other two groups, and I like to start with the letter P to remember them for alliteration, is God's people, that is, money goes to people in the early church. In other words, do good to all, uh, all, all do good to all, especially the family of believers, Galatians 6, 9, and 10. And then the last P would be kind of like uh, prospects. In other words, people who are not part of the community of faith, but who are on the fringes and connected to the body of Christ. So in answer to your question, and it's a great question, what did the early church do with money? The answer is they poured it into the pastor, the poor, God's people, and they poured it into those prospects that they interface with. 
And conspicuously, though, guess what they didn't pour money into? Property. And uh, that poses a whole nother set of, or that would take us down a whole nother line of thinking. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. Well, we all appreciate great insights into money as Christians. And Dr. Gary Hogue is our guest. We're talking through a whole bunch of really important issues as to how we understand money from a biblical standpoint. In other words, what is the wisdom of God when it comes to the money that we actually hold? And uh, Dr. Gary Hogue, when we talk about uh, the peanut butter and jelly illustration, you're saying peanut butter like the Old Testament way of thinking of money, jelly, the New Testament way of thinking about money. Uh, take us into a little bit of understanding here as we as we go into the Old Testament and how this might relate to some of the ways that we think about money today. Sure. The reason why I like to use the peanut butter and jelly illustration is because the Apostle Paul, when he was helping the Jewish Christians understand what to do with the law, let's call that the, the peanut butter, what to do with it, um, he wanted them to understand that Jesus fulfilled the law for us and gave, an, gave us a new command, love. And so because of the freedom we now had, we shouldn't use that freedom for self-indulgence, but we get to use it to serve one another in love. So Paul's just echoing Jesus' one command for us, like the one thing he wants us to be known for is love. And so the reason we don't mash them together is it actually sends us back to slavery, which is why we don't see Jesus use law language linked to money in teaching the disciples, or we don't see any of the New Testament writers using tithe or Old Testament law language because... Um, it would, it would basically send us back to slavery. And where it sends people is when you sit back and say, okay, I'm going to give a 10% to God and the other 90% is mine to do as I please. They're actually, what, what that actually demonstrates is um, what, what we would, what the Pharisees were described as being greedy lovers of money because all 100% belongs to God. And so what I'd like to, tell people in the peanut butter and jelly is rather than mash them together and send you back to slavery. Richard Foster says it best when he says, rather than how much of my money should I give to God, which is that Old Testament law thinking, we should think, how much of God's money do I need to keep for myself? Because it's all God's money. And when we, when we look at it that way, our giving and living and serving and loving takes a totally different shape. And so we don't go back to slavery. We actually um, celebrate that he's fulfilled the law for us, and we don't mash them together. I guess we just enjoy that nice piece of bread with the jelly on it. Well, I want to invite listeners to join into our conversation. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 as we develop an understanding of how we think about the Old Testament and how we think about the New Testament. Great insights from our special guest, Dr. Gary Hogue. But let's take a call or two and uh, listeners can help direct our conversation today. Let's first of all hear from Erica on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hi, Erica. Welcome. Right. I'm a... Well, my husband's been a pastor of some churches. Um, he's not pastoring at the moment. And maybe I'm a bit of a jaded minister's wife. 
And um, he and I go halves in our income on tithing. And I don't tithe any of it to any church because I've seen too much of it just wasted. Uh, I think you might be thinking self-indulgence. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, on programs that I don't think bring in the... the Programs that don't count for anything. Potential sheep. I am more into the idea of giving our money, or rather my half, to programs that are at the coalface. Um, you know, like overseas persecuted Christians and missionaries whom I have personally met, um, and even those in Australia whom I've personally met. I suppose I'm very tainted. My thinking is affected by the amount of times money has been aligning pockets of preachers. And yes, 30 years ago, I was very much a... um, name it, claim it person, until I thought about, hey, the North Korean persecuted Christians don't name it and claim it at all. They're more humble and walking in faith than any of us Western Christians. Erica, great thoughts there. The idea that when you see things in church life, you think are tainted, you get jaded in the way that you think about money. Uh, Dr. Gary Hogue, uh, what are your thoughts for Erica and the sorts of things she's sharing? Erica, thanks for your transparency. I want to tell you that um, there's a lot of people out there that would, with you, say, um, I've been jaded, I've been, I've been burnt, because A, maybe there, the money was coming in and it wasn't going toward Um, those things the early church spent money on that we said, like the poor and pastors and um, really ministering to God's people who were, who were in need and, and maybe ministry to those um, like you mentioned, missionaries, that would be like who the early church would have supported, but we don't see the early church spending money on property. And so a lot of times people get jaded when they see what, what perceive what what's perceived to be waste or, um, or when pastors are really just uh, pounding over people, these are, these are kind of the, the two things that lead you to the prosperity gospel that people get really jaded, are when, A, pastors take Old Testament covenant promises out of context. Um, in other words, what they end up doing is they look something like this. They, they, uh, these are promises made to... Um, covenant promises made to Israel, they pull them out of context, so they're communicating like half-truths, so like, say, Deuteronomy 28. If you obey my commands that I'm giving you today, your bread's going to rise, your calves are going to drop, you'll be the head and not the tail, like everything's going to go great for you. And then they stop right there. They only read part of the text, and they use it to manipulate people to tithe as if they're, they're telling them, if you do this, if you give this money, then all these things are going to happen for you. And I have to tell you, Erica, one time I got interviewed on TV here in um, Denver because a charlatan, one of those uh, um, name-it-and-claim-it evangelists, was really burning a lot of people. So he made the news, and they interviewed me on the news. And um, back in the old days in the Wild West, when someone would come try to, a traveling salesman would come to your city, and they would try to sell you some elixir 
they called them snake oil salesmen. And these people would come and they would try to sell you something that you were hopefully, in their minds, hopefully gullible enough to buy. And so what I tell people as a rule of thumb, if some minister is promising things that only God can deliver, they're really just a spiritual snake oil salesman, and they're looking for people gullible enough to buy it. And the sad part is they burn a lot of people who are looking for hope, and they leave them actually hopeless, and they discourage them and burn them from the church. And so, Erica, my prayer is that um, that slowly as you uh, seek God's heart on what to do with his resources, you'll find joy and continue to find joy in sharing. And that might mean sharing with those missionaries or sharing with people who are in need. Okay. I love hearing that you're sharing with God's people who are in need. Got to jump in here. About to go to news. Dr. Gary Hogue, we'll take some more calls in just a few moments, but let's just touch on something really important here for a few moments as we talk through issues around money. Uh, you say that when we're talking Old Testament, people will often take you know, um, uh, Old Testament uh, wisdom, say from the Proverbs, and they'll sometimes use that in a, a way that doesn't actually reflect what it's supposed to be used for. How do you describe the way we've used Old Testament to justify the way we talk about giving? Sure. Let me, let me use these words prescriptive and descriptive to explain how we need to read and not read uh, wisdom literature. So if I read Proverbs, say, I'll give an example, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. If I read this prescriptively, I'm reading it how to get God to give me the things that I want. Listen as I read. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. And so if I read that prescriptively, it's saying, oh, if I just do this, then I'm going to have my barns full and my cups to overflowing. Is that God's design and desire? You see, Proverbs are not intended to be selfish because at the heart of a prescriptive reading, it's just how can I advance myself? And God's design and desire throughout the entire Old Testament, including Proverbs, is that we're these people who enjoy and share God's blessings. We're blessed to be a blessing. And so if we read it descriptively, what, what comes into view is, if I follow God's design, his economy of all things, if I honor him with the wealth he's given me, with the first fruits of all my crops, I'm going to experience his economy, which is abundance, which is, which is blessing. But it's not to be retained, it's to be enjoyed and shared. And so at the outset, we talked about whether early church or Old Testament, God's design is that we're blessed to be a blessing. It's enjoyment and sharing. But if we get it backwards, or we read these passages through a lens of selfishness, we can actually read them to, uh, to, to almost read them to interpret or, or to accomplish whatever our hearts desire. And that isn't, that's just not how they're intended to be read and understood. And so when taught that way, generally by ministers who want to line their own pockets, what they do is they promise people, if you do this giving, then you're going to have this blessing in your life that's going to be so great. It's going to be so awesome. 
and they're doing it to get rather than to to um, experience life in God's economy. We are taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Tyrone in Warwick in Queensland has been waiting very patiently. Thanks for being so patient, Tyrone. What are your thoughts? Yeah, how you going? Good. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, and, um, but also know that there's, um, that churches have also misused it as well. Uh, say that again, Tyrone. I'm not sure everyone will have heard what you said. Um, yeah, I've, I believe in giving, um, but I, I, I believe that giving like, like when the Lord tells you to, or how much He tells you to, not how much, like a church um, may tell you to give, or you know. Well, you raise a really important point here: uh, how God might say how much you might give. Uh, Gary Hogue, what are your thoughts for Tyrone? Hey, Tyrone, thanks for joining us. I want to I want to comment that I love your design and desire to follow God leading for your giving. In other words, it's all his money, and so what you do with it should be directed by him. I love that. I, I sense in your comment you've been burnt a little bit by maybe a pastor telling you how much to give, again, maybe beating you, you over the head with the Old Testament law, tithe language, instead of a more freeing New Testament narrative, which is rather than measuring your giving by percentage, it's by proportion. If we're blessed a little, we get to give a little. If we're blessed a lot, we get to give a lot. And we we will direct that giving, not necessarily just to fund the church budget, but to the things God nudges us to support. I love that. Tyrone, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Gary, just before we move on, the idea of an Old Testament uh, law standards, and oftentimes we call that a tithe, a 10%. Uh, what's wrong with being in the New Testament and starting with the uh, the foundation that we might have discovered in the Old Testament as a starting point or as a focal point for what people might consider giving? Because, uh, I mean, I've heard of, you know, people who've just, you know, they've been very wel- wealthy uh, arriving at church in the Mercedes-Benz and uh, dropping a few coins into the offering uh, basket, uh, thinking that they're being generous. What's wrong with having a standard of saying a tithe might be a starting point? Well, I, I would say it this way. Let's look at the reason for the tithe instruction. There were three tithes, and the first tithe went to God, so I'm kind of making a, if I, if you saw me waving my hands, I'm making a cross. The first tenth went to God. The second tenth, so this one's like horizontal, making a cross, uh, would go to God's people. And that was for the festivals eight times a year. So God told him to give a tenth to God, a tenth for the festivals, and then a tenth every third year for the Levites who had no land on which to grow things and the needy among them. So what was the purpose of that? God wanted their giving to unite their hearts with him, with one another, and the needy among them. So when we get to the New Testament, what should flow into the New Testament is enjoyment and sharing, giving to God, giving and caring and sharing for one another, and remembering the needy among us. And so, sure, if you really want to, if you really want to think of, um, in terms of a tenth, 
Consider it maybe the floor and not the ceiling. Consider it like the training wheels. Like you don't leave your training wheels on your bike forever. Continue, consider it as a starting point. Have your giving. Go to God through, through your giving to the local church, but have it impact those around you and, and, and touch the needy that are in your circles or that God leads you to support. Wow, what great wisdom. Think of the tithe as training wheels, as a starting point, because we might note that when controversy arrives over this sort of issue, uh, that sometimes people who are arguing against a tithe are actually looking for an excuse to give less. Uh, What you're saying here is the obligation actually is perhaps a whole lot more than the tithe. And if we think of the tithe as starting point, as you say, training wheels, that perhaps is a good place to start. Let me let me add this. Remember you said about the guy who, who drives up in the Mercedes and he might give, he or she might give a tenth, and that's maybe a fraction of what their ability to give might be. That's exactly what happened in Luke 21 or in Mark 12, where the wealthy came and dropped in their big bags of coins, and this widow comes in and plink, plink, puts all she had to live on. And you know what it teaches us? God looks at not how much we give. That's what the world looks at. God doesn't look at how much we give. He looks at how much we don't give and what that says about our hearts. We're taking calls. Let's take another one. Trevor is on the line from Western Australia. Hi, Trevor. Welcome. Uh, Good morning. What are your thoughts, Trevor? Um, I've heard an analogy which I want to make some comments on. I've heard that... uh, Christians, quite often, we, we act like buckets, and we want to be filled with all God's blessings and glory and whatever else. But I think the analogy is we should be like um, we should be like uh, pipes um, where, the, where it flows through us rather than um, than, than, than capturing it. So rivers of, of rivers of living water. I love that uh, you know, the idea of a conduit a pipe by which those blessings flow and perhaps into those areas that Gary Hogue is talking about. Gary what are your thoughts for Trevor? Trevor I love it. It's like you're one of my students. I use the language of God made us not to be uh, containers but he made us to be channels. Um, it was actually Billy Graham who said God gave us two, he made us, uh, he gave us two hands, one to receive and one to share. He made us not to be cisterns for hoarding, but um, conduits of blessing. So I am right there with you, brother. Thank you so much for your insight today, Trevor. We're taking calls 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Jonathan in Western Australia. Hi, Jonathan. Yes, I know I enjoy what Gary said just now, because uh we, the modern-day churches or New Testament churches, we based on tithing in the Old Testament, and we don't even do half of it. Because if you go to about the tithing in the Old Testament, I think 3%, or say 75% go as 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, three times, and you can give, and give in the Old Testament. But we just give one-third of the giving, and do I only say I give much? It's selfishness. So I mean that in my own understanding, I don't believe in so much tithing today because whatsoever I have is for God. So I can give and give and give. Not depend on only one thing percent, one for us. 
Jonathan, beautiful attitude you're presenting here, this idea of give and give and give. And uh, some of us, that comes a little easier than others, but uh, I'm not sure if you could understand everything there, but uh, your thoughts for Jonathan here, uh, Gary. Sure, sure, Jonathan. You know, there's a word commonly used of people who give and give and give. The world calls them donors. And when I was doing my Ph.D. work studying, like, the language of giving in the New Testament and specifically looking at 1 Timothy, you know what I found? The Apostle Paul and the other New Testament writers avoid the language of donations and donors. You know why? Because it's all God's. And so instead of seeing ourselves as donors, we need to see ourselves as distributors. God blesses us to be a blessing. And so picture yourself as like the DHL guy or the, or the, FedEx, the FedEx guy. And God put, fills your truck with packages. Sometimes those packages are for your enjoyment, but a lot of times those packages, those blessings are for your sharing. And, so, and people say to me, Jonathan, when you talk about give and give and give, people say to me, well, if I give, you know, all the time, I might run out of, uh, I might run out of, of my ability to give. And I say, I say to them, I use this, I say, if you're kind to a person this morning, do you run out of kindness? If you're kind this morning and this afternoon, is there no kindness left for the evening? So God's design and desire is for you to be this distributor of material and spiritual blessings, to give and give and give. And when he looks down, because the eyes of the Lord look to and fro around the earth, he looks down and he sees and knows what we're doing. He um, supplies all things richly for our enjoyment and sharing. So when we focus on being people who enjoy and share, I think he sees and I think he supplies. And so I encourage people to be not donors but distributors of God's material and spiritual blessings. Jonathan in WA, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. We'll take another call in just a moment. But if we're talking about peanut butter and jelly, uh, the American illustration here, and we've got the peanut butter giving according to the law, uh, the tenth, the tithe, and as you say, uh, even sometimes the tithe upon a tithe upon a tithe, uh, an Old Testament way of thinking about giving, what about the New Testament here? Let's uh, let's not leave any listener in doubt today, Gary, as to what you're sharing. How is the New Testament attitude to giving so much different to the Old Testament attitude giving according to the law? If I were to put a banner over it, it would be generosity, a fruit of the spirit, of, uh, a fruit of the spirit of God at work in Neil's life, in Gary's life, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And the next word, goodness, agathosune, is better translated generosity. So when, when we are these conduits, these distributors, these joyful shares of God's blessing, it shows that God's Spirit is at work in us. And so when, if we want to think of New Testament giving, we don't have to do it. We get to do it. This is not motivated any longer by guilt. I mean, where's the joy in guilt? It would be like, does, does, do like people enjoy paying their taxes? It's like there's no, there's no joy in fulfilling the requirements of the law. But when we see all we are and all we have is belonging to God and that we get to participate, koinonia, participate in God's work around us through enjoyment and sharing, it brings a sense of great joy. And so I want listeners out there to tune in to the fact 
that giving should shift from law, you have to do it, to love, you get to do it. It should go to people not based on merit or them being deserving, because none of us are deserving, but mercy. It should show God's love to the broken, the hurting, the needy, the undeserving, because we were undeserving in Christ. And it should flow not by percentage, but proportion. As we're blessed, let's let's bless others. Running short of time, let's take another call. Audrey from Perth in WA. Audrey, what are your thoughts? Yeah, hi. Um, I used to get really stressed out about the tithing until I decided to pray to God and ask Him how much I should give. And it worked out that... Um, and then it took a lot of pressure off me when I was deciding that when I couldn't give the 10%, I would just ask Him, how much do you want me to give? And it just took a whole lot of pressure of me in deciding how much to actually give myself because I was then bringing God into the equation. Good thoughts, Audrey. A response from Gary Hogue. Audrey, amen. You know, the 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 giving should be directed by God, not motivated by guilt um, of a person levying a percentage over you. We don't see the Apostle Paul or Jesus doing that. So I'm thrilled that you're going to God, asking him what and to whom you should give, and then joyfully and freely um being his hands and feet to bless others. Amen. Thank you so much, Audrey. And we're going to have to put a line under the calls. And uh, thanks for everyone who has called in. And uh, sorry for those listeners that have been trying to get through. And we won't be able to take your call. We've just run out of time because I just want to just uh, somehow rather draw loose ends together here, Gary. And, of course, if you're giving according to the law, you're probably not going to be as happy about giving at your local church. But if you're giving according to love, you're going to discover something a lot deeper deeper and a lot more joyful, a lot more uh, powerful in the way that you give in your intentionality here. How do we sum up these sorts of things that you've been delivering to us through this past hour? And uh, as I said early in the introduction, the idea is, is there a rule of thumb that we can say is the wisdom of God on how we give through our local church and to the poor and all of those different aspects we're talking about? How do you sum it up, Gary? Sure. I'm going to sum it up with one of my favorite quotes that I share with my students by Brendan Manning. He said, God's appeal for unlimited generosity from his people. So put your name in there. God's appeal for unlimited generosity from Gary, from Neil, has been preceded from his side by a limitless love, a love so intent upon a response, he's empowered us to respond through the gift of his Holy Spirit. In other words, what I want listeners to realize is that when God nudges us, be a blessing over there. He's going to resource and supply us to, to follow through with that. And so to, to, to follow Jesus in giving is going to take you, it's going to stretch you to places you never dreamed, and you're going to find joy unimaginable. And what I would just encourage you to do is listen to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. See, all you are and all you have is belonging to God. And then uh, just enjoy the adventure of being his hands and feet, a joyful distributor of material and spiritual blessings.
Well, I think listeners will appreciate we've come to a real aspect here, a biblical foundation for how we think about money and how we give in a local church context. The idea that it's God's mission and he's given to us all that we have. We get to share in that. And I did like what you were saying, Gary, about the idea of working out what you can enjoy and what you can share. And there might be a good prayer point there for listeners and for myself even as we think about money and how we deal with that before God. Dr. Gary Hogue has been our guest over this past hour and yes, there will be a podcast of this conversation up later this afternoon when you go onto the 2020 page. Uh, you'll be able to listen again to this conversation because there'll be so many good things you might want to revisit. Dr. Gary Hogue is the President and CEO of Global Trust Partners and he's on his way to Australia. And he's going to be speaking at what has been a long-running convention that happens at Easter time. And you might be thinking, what am I going to do for Easter this year? Well, the Easter convention at the Mount Tambourine Conference Centre might be one of those stops that you'll make uh, to pick up on a keynote speaker like Dr. Gary Hogue. Uh, you can you can certainly find out about that conference and how you might register at the Mount Tambourine Conference Centre website, mtcc.org.au. That's mtcc.org.au. To get some more insights and resources from Dr. Gary Hogue, he said he's written 11 books. I don't have those titles, but no doubt when you go onto the Global Trust Partners website at gtp.org, you can find those books and other insights when it comes to money. Uh, Facebook, let me just say uh, that uh, of all those listeners who put a a vote on our Facebook post today, 75%. They're saying that it's they're giving out of opportunity. Uh, 25% saying they're giving out of obligation. You might like to join in that conversation beyond our conversation on the air today and uh, contribute to what others might be saying on Facebook. Dr. Gary Hogue, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us ahead of your Australian trip. Thanks for being with us. It's my privilege. I look forward to seeing you in Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.